Welcome to Advance with MUSE Health. I'm your host, Erin Spain. This show's mission is to help you find ways to preserve and optimize your health and get the care you need to live well. People with foregut diseases can often find a long-term cure through surgery. Dr. Mark Harris is a general surgeon in the MUSE Health Floyd Medical Group with extensive experience in foregut surgery. He joins me today to talk about the often complex procedures he offers and how they can change the lives of his patients with diseases such as gastroesophageal reflux disease, chronic heartburn, and severe acid reflux. Welcome to the show, Dr. Harris. Thank you. Tell me about the foregut. It's responsible for so many important functions such as swallowing and digestion. Explain it to me and how vital it is to our daily lives. Well, from an anatomic standpoint, the foregut is comprised of the esophagus and the stomach, essentially, and the upper portions of the gastrointestinal tract. After the food is chewed and swallowed, the food travels down the esophagus and enters the stomach, and the stomach does its magic and produces acid so that it can digest our food and make a more liquid so that it passes into our intestinal tract and is easily able to be broken down into the nutrients that are absorbed so that we get the adequate intake of proteins, calories, and vitamins and minerals that are necessary for physiologic function. Here at MUSC Health, you are seeing patients with some common foregut diseases. Tell me about these patients who you see, what are they experiencing? What are they diagnosed with? Most of my referrals are coming from the gastroenterology department because they tend to see these patients first because of symptoms. And we see a lot of hiatal hernias, parasophageal hernias, patients with chronic reflux, the complications of reflux, such as bad esophagitis, which is inflammation of the esophagus from chronic acid exposure, which over time that can lead to stricturing or narrowing of the lower esophagus and potentially lead to esophageal cancer with uh, long-term exposure. At what point are people referred to you for surgery? Some people come to you, they're pretty sick. Most people have problems with swallowing, or they will have heartburn that's just not controlled. I mean, we have a lot of great medications now. When I first started surgery, we had what we call the histamine blockers, like, you know, we had Tagamet was the first one that came out, and then you started having Pepsid and Zantac and some other medications that would help. And these do help, but they're kind of limited in how long they last. Then the proton pump inhibitors that came out, these actually affect the acid-producing system within the stomach to decrease acid completely, which has revolutionized a lot because we don't see as much ulcer disease from the stomach. We don't see as much esophagitis in the patients that are taking these. So patients get referred to me mainly if they're having difficulty swallowing and it's not controlled with medications, if their reflux is not controlled. The medications do not stop a hiatal hernia. They do not stop reflux. All that they do is take the acid down so that the acid is not causing symptoms. So patients, especially with hiatal hernias, they can have a tremendous amount of regurgitation. They can have chronic cough. They can have sore throat. They can have upper respiratory infections that tend to be recurrent. They can have vocal cord changes from irritation. They can't eat certain foods and meals because of the reflux and regurgitation. So I'm seeing those patients. I'm seeing patients that have achalasia, which leads to problems with the esophagus. It stops its motility, meaning it doesn't contract and push things through. It will dilate up. Patients have weight loss, chronic vomiting, and really they can't eat, which is usually the gastroenterologist will diagnose and send to me. 
you know, the hernias, a lot of them are discovered with CT scans. I may have had vague symptoms and they see me for that. If somebody is not able to get treatment or care for reflux, it can really lead to some serious conditions. Tell me about that. On the benign standpoint, esophagitis, which is irritation or inflammation of the esophagus, it's almost like a burning if you will, of the esophagus from the gastric acid, and it erodes the protective lining and, and it can cause pain, difficulty swallowing. You can get strictures, which over time, chronic reflux and chronic esophagitis can lead to scarring, which is narrowing of the esophagus and it's difficult to swallow and pass things through. Now, unchecked over time, chronic reflux can lead to esophageal cancer. It's a different type of esophageal cancer than the main body. We're actually seeing a rise in lower esophageal adenocarcinomas, which is a glandular disease and is related to chronic acid exposure and reflux. So getting the reflux under control, especially if it's pathologic, is key. You're also able to help people with certain cancers through foregut surgery. Tell me about that. We do gastric surgery as well, gastric cancers. We're able to do that either minimally invasive or open, depending on the nature of the disease process. There are some localized forms of gastric tumors called GIST tumors, gastrointestinal stromal cell tumors, and these can be removed minimally invasively, robotically, laparoscopically. We perform those operations. And in addition to that, we also do some serious non-cancerous surgeries, such as a severe ulcer disease that is not able to be treated with medications. And at the worst case scenario, perforations of the foregut, which occur with ulcer disease as well. After these procedures, which for the majority of them are minimally invasive, what can a patient expect? Are they able to regain function or feel better afterwards? The reflux is generally uh, treated immediately. Now, because of the surgery and depending on how extensive it is, they can have some dietary modifications for a while because you get swelling. But generally, patients are in the hospital a day or two after surgery, if that. And because we do it minimally invasive, back to normal activity in two weeks. Diet, you know, be on kind of a soft diet for upwards to a month to allow the swelling to go down and then gradually increase the diet to a normal consistency. So researchers estimate that about 20% of people in the United States have gastroesophageal reflux disease. Tell me, who is likely to get this? You know, it's variable. A lot of folks overweight will have it. Some people who have the anatomic defects with the hiatal hernia, a vast majority of them will have reflux. It doesn't necessarily fit a, a demographic, you know, because I've had very skinny patients with bad reflux. I've had overweight patients with reflux, and it just happens to be fairly random. You know, increased weight will definitely increase the risk of reflux, and that's just, again, with the pressure differential that we see. Diabetics can get a lot of reflux, too, because they get secondary conditions of the stomach, like gastroparesis, where the stomach doesn't contract real well and doesn't empty well. It's got to go somewhere. If it's not going downstream, then it has a higher propensity to go up into the esophagus. Besides, perhaps, weight loss, is there things that people can do to prevent this or make it better before going to surgery? Yes. And, you know, every patient with reflux doesn't need surgery. We reserve the surgery for those patients who are refractory or have the anatomic changes that we can fix and know that we can help them. But just run the mill reflux. I mean, we recommend small, frequent meals. I tell the patients not to eat and drink at the same time because if they drink, it liquefies their food. It makes it more, more liquid. So it's easier to go up the esophagus. We recommend sitting upright, no lounging in the lazy boy while watching a game trying to eat, you know to eat smaller, more frequent meals rather than large meals at one time. And there's certain foods that will actually increase your risk of reflux because 
They relax the lower esophageal sphincter, caffeine, chocolate. They have methylxanthines in them that causes relaxation of the lower esophageal sphincter. Any tomato or tomato products because of the citric acid in there. The same is true for like orange juice and grapefruit juice. Obviously, alcohol and tobacco will do the same thing. So patients who are smoking or drink consistently or heavily, we recommend they avoid that. Other lifestyle changes, as I always tell patients who have a lot of reflux that, you know, elevating the head of the bed will help. Either putting a block under the head of the bed, getting a wedge pillow that keeps a, their head slightly elevated above the abdomen will help. Not wearing tight, constrictive clothing, especially around the abdomen, you know, the arrow spandex and all of that, putting pressure in that area will increase abdominal pressure. So again, it's got to go somewhere, so it's going to force it back up into the esophagus. Is this more of a problem as people age as well? Uh, you can see it at all ages. I mean, I see it from the 20s all the way up until later in life. I mean, we all have a little bit of reflux all the time. Our body's natural compensatory mechanism is to either swallow air or swallow, and our esophagus will push things back down. And, you know, absolutely everyone who's eaten the wrong thing has had a little bit of heartburn at some point. But the patients who have it have it bad, I mean, that's a constant problem. Well, share with me the latest surgical techniques that you're using at MUSC Health Floyd Medical Group to treat these conditions. Well, I started out doing these a long time ago, 20-something years ago with my mentor. We were doing it laparoscopically. Now we have transitioned and uh, we have a robotic platform that we're using. And we use a DaVinci XI system, which is, in my opinion, has revolutionized minimally invasive surgery. I am in full control when I'm in the in the operating room on the robot. We actually sit at a console away from the patient after we've gained access, hooked up the robotic arms. I have complete control of my instruments. I have complete control of my camera so that I'm seeing and doing everything that I want to do and I don't have to rely on an assistant to move or to move the camera. And I'm able to have a lot of tools at my disposal. And I think we actually get a better operation because Laparoscopy is very difficult to sew laparoscopically like we would if we were open. But with the robot, because of our articulating arms and the angles, we can sew just like if we were open and get a better closure of the hiatus. I think we're able to visually able to see the amount of dissection at a higher resolution. I'm able to put the camera all the way up into the chest or behind the heart when we're dissecting the esophagus to make sure that we have enough length. And I have different retraction points. I would never go back to doing it laparoscopically, having done it robotically now for a while. And for patients who are listening, this really is the cutting edge of surgery. And maybe explain that to them and how MUSC Health is able to offer this type of surgery and care and how that's different than maybe other places in the state. I think robots have been around for a little while. There are a couple of advancements in, in robotics over the last few years. It really has hit general surgery it was used by OBGYNs. It was used by urologists a lot with prostate cancer. And I think that the application for general surgeon, you know, as people have pushed the envelope and done more, they found that it was a great platform, especially for foregut and for abdominal wall reconstruction. And now there's not a whole lot that we can't do with the robot that, that we do open. You know, the limitations are we've just got to be able to see and to be able to gain access to the abdominal cavity. So we have expanded our robotic program to the point where we're doing a wide range of general surgical procedures. And again, I don't think that I would ever go back to the laparoscopic approach to this. I myself have had robotic surgery, so, so I'm a big proponent of that, that process because I think it gets patients back to normal activity faster, I think. 
it is safer. I think that the amount of tools at our disposal limits the amount of potential complications while we're doing the surgery. You mentioned that you have specialization in this type of surgery using the robot. Why is it important for patients to seek out an experienced surgeon like you for foregut surgery? It all depends on how well you were trained. There's some programs that don't do much of this when they're training, and there's some programs that just have a small amount. I think it's important because the wrong operation or an inadequate operation can lead to bad complications. If a patient is having significant reflux or they're having significant problems or they may have been diagnosed previously with a hiatal hernia, we're more than happy to see if patients can self-refer to our office or go through their primary care doctor and ask for a referral or a referral to gastroenterology because we work hand-in-hand and they know when to send patients to me and when not. The vast majority of my patients for hiatal hernias are coming from the gastroenterology department. They help me coordinate all of the workup as well. Because again, there are a lot of pieces to the puzzle before we ever decide on which is the appropriate operation to do. Tell me about some of these success stories that you've seen. How are people feeling after they have foregut surgery? The symptoms of reflux are almost immediately taken care of from the time we finish surgery because we limit the amount of refluxate that can come up from the stomach into the esophagus. If a patient has a large hiatal hernia or a large parasophageal hernia, they will feel relief of that pressure sensation they have in the upper stomach or the lower chest almost immediately. Now, patients are going to be tender after surgery and, you know, some more than others. And and even though we do it minimally invasively, but I will tell you that most people are back to full activity within two weeks and their soreness is gone. I love it. I couldn't see myself doing anything else, especially in medicine. What do you do to optimize your health and live well? Well, I try to stay active. If I'm feeling reflux, I actually have a small hiatal hernia, I know, from endoscopy. And if I have reflux symptoms, I will manipulate my diet or avoid eating before I go to bed and those things that we talk about. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark Harris, for coming on the show and explaining this really interesting complex surgery and what's available to our patients. We appreciate it. Well, thank you. For more information on this podcast, check out advance.musehealth.org.